Happy Father's Day to everyone. And I know we just prayed, but I'd like to pray again and go to the Lord uh, before we turn to the Word of God. And I'd also like to specifically pray for fathers as well. Um, and I mean, my, oh my, you know, what, what a calling right now, specifically, uh, fathers uh, to lead your homes uh, for the glory of God, um, especially at a time like this. We need fathers to arise, certainly mothers as well. What we see in Scripture, the calling for fathers specifically to lead their homes and lead them well in the Word of God. And so, let's go to the Lord and let's pray in light of these things. Father, we come before you, Lord, and as we come this morning, we pray that you would help us, Lord, as we continue our time of worship, as we come in view of Father's Day, we just praise you, Lord. It's right to praise you. It's right to give you glory for your goodness and the lives you've given to us, even whether we've had great difficulties in our lives or or otherwise we recognize your good hand that you are unshakably good and it does not change in the midst of a broken world broken lives sin satan and all these things we we look to you father this morning and we pray and thanks for our Fathers, thank you for the men who have used to, to help us and to raise us. And pray expressly, Father, that you would be with the fathers this morning. Pray that you would give them grace, that you give them wisdom. Help them, Father, to understand your word and to be men of your word. We pray, Father, that you would help them to be men who receive instruction in wise dealings and in righteousness, justice, and equity. May you help them, Father, and give them uh, grace and that they would walk in wisdom, which we know that wisdom, true wisdom, is only grounded and founded upon your word. And so we pray that in the fear of the Lord, they would walk. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and we pray they would not be fools, despising, despising wisdom and instruction, but instead help them to long for your word, to long for wisdom, and to hear and increase in learning, and to increase in understanding in the way of your word, in the way of your ways, that they may walk in your word. And in your ways, for your glory. May men arise, those who know Jesus Christ. May we wisely, graciously, lovingly, sacrificially, humbly, compassionately lead our homes, lead our families, be men of God, and example these things to our children. May you help us, Lord, and be with each father that is here and that is listening or watching this morning. We pray, Father, as we turn to your word, 
May you help us to glory in you. Help our hearts to well up in praise and adoration. And may they even be humbled as well. May you help us come ready to be examined, our thoughts to be exposed, our hearts to be exposed. May you work through your word for your glory. And we look to you, God, and we praise you, Father, for your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our life and our salvation. And may we glory in the Son this morning as we worship through him that all glory may go to you, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I praise the Lord that this is now the second week that we can sort of gather together. I know it's not the norm. You know, we are certainly doing things differently. Masks and everything. If you're, if you're here, you know that. If you're listening, you don't see it like I do and, and, and seeing everybody here, of course, with their masks and everything else. But just praise the Lord that we can gather together again for our second Sunday uh, as we kind of seek to progressively open or reopen Haven. So I praise the Lord for that. And, and so as if you were here last week, we began and we started coming back to the Gospel of John. We took a, a short pause there and so we resumed our walk through the Gospel of John. And this morning... So whether you're joining us online or you are here in person, uh, would you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. We'll continue here. And we began John chapter 5 last week, if you remember, walking through this chapter. And you know now, t- this morning, we'll focus in on the latter half of John chapter 5, where last week we focused on the beginning part of John chapter 5, where we saw the healing in the opening chapter of the invalid, and now, this morning, we will read of the Jews' response, as well as our Lord's response to them. And so I'll be reading here, for the sake of context, from verses 9 to 24, where we see and we will see the inseparable and utterly united relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So may God give us grace to behold glorious things this morning from his thought, exposing and heart, exposing word. To John 5, 9. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And the man went away and he told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. 
And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. And this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel For as this Father raises the dead and gives life, gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he passed from death to life. Amen. This is certainly the God-inspired word of the Lord. So, as we kind of are coming back to this chapter and bringing to bear all that we heard in part last week. We see here that Jesus, he comes, or at least we saw at the beginning of John chapter 5, that Jesus, he came and he did an incredible miracle here. A man who is most certainly going about his days in even great despair, great hardship, great difficulty, And that, for 38 years, he is, and he was, as we saw, he was mercifully and graciously healed. And so we saw that last week. But here, we see the first blatant opposition to Jesus. And the the Jews' response here is really astonishing. And I mean that in really the most negative of ways. It's not astonishing in a good way. The Jews, they question this man who had been healed, and there is no hint that they are glad at it. I mean, there is, there's no hint that they rejoice at God's goodness in the healing of this man. There is no praise the Lord. There's no hallelujah, wow, you've been healed. Praise God. You don't, you don't see any of that here. Instead, they are indignant. Whoever this man's healer was, he told this man to take up his mat on the Sabbath day. I mean, do you see how this is negatively astonishing? And this really is odd. 
even ridiculous. Oh, you were lame for 38 years? Well, you know, I don't care about any of that. What I care about is why do you have that mat under your arm? Do you get it? I mean, this really is preposterous. Ridiculous. And you would be right to wonder at why the healing for the mat. Why do they miss the working of God where this mat that this invalid, or used to be invalid, has under his arm? Well, as see here, they saw or they thought that the law forbade it. But is that true? Did the law really forbid this man from taking up his mat and walking like Jesus told him to do? Well, let me just say, no, that's not, that's not accurate. So where did they get this from? Well, they got this from their oral tradition, also known as the Mishnah. And it was from the Mishnah particularly that they find and that they even made various rules that would end up forbidding someone to pick up their mat like this man did here on the Sabbath day. So according to the Mishnah, you could carry someone on a mat on the Sabbath day, but if no one was physically on the mat, you could not carry the mat on the Sabbath day. In fact, if you wanted to keep your mat and hopefully no one would take it, you would need to sit there all Sabbath day and watch it until the next day. Then you could take up your mat and go home. And so, now, I don't mean this at all to say that the Sabbath day was not a small day, or that it was an unholy day. It was most certainly a holy day, and it was to be a holy day unto the Lord. But the Mishnah scrupulously analyzed what work was and what work was not. And this man, he had not violated the Old Testament law in particular. He had violated the Mishnah in particular. He had violated their rule book. And in their view, Jesus had this man break their rules. And now, we just read it. They are very unhappy about this. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. Now to add to this, we saw this in part last week, but the man who is healed here, he doesn't really get this either. He doesn't really understand what's going on and who this is before him either. He more or less, he turns Jesus into the authorities, indicting Jesus for breaking the rules of the Jews instead of bowing before Jesus as his Lord, as his healer, and as his Savior. That would have been the right response. But instead, he turns him into the Jews. So really, there is no one here, at least as far as we can see in the text, that really understands and really gets 
who it is that stands before them, that this is the Messiah of old, that they've been longing for, that they've been praying for, been crying out to God to send, and nobody gets it. Sadly, we see here the disturbing truth that there are many ways to miss Jesus. There are many ways to miss Jesus. And there are few reasons they and perhaps we or you might miss Jesus. And the first of these is that they miss God's heart behind God's word. They miss God's heart behind God's word. Now, to look at this, you know, let's, let's back up and kind of consider the Old Testament here for a moment. So, in the Old Testament, we see there how glorious God is. We see His power. We see His sovereignty. We see His might. We see His incredible judgments that He gives. But there also, we see how great is His persistent, persevering love and abundant mercies. So consider then, as we're thinking about the Old Testament, what precedes the law for the people of Israel. What comes prior to them having been given the law? Redemption. God, He rescues Israel out of Egypt and He makes them His people apart from any righteousness of their own. It was not because of your righteousness, Israel, that I chose you. I chose you because I chose you. And so the law was never given as the means of their relationship with God. Both as it was then, as it is now, it is by faith. We think of Galatians and Abraham and how it talks about how before the law was ever put in place, Abraham knew God, how? By faith. He was declared righteous by faith. And so at the heart of God's law is orienting a people to treasure their God. So God's heartbeat is that we love Him and flowing from our love for Him that we then love others. Yes, Be holy as He is holy, but not so you can be His people, but because you are His people. And they had it all mixed up. And maybe maybe some of us do as well. He wanted people who are His, a kingdom of people devoted to Him in His glory as a light for the nations. Yet, God's heart behind God's word was mistaken for dutifully keeping the law. And such is what we see here. And such is what we see as we look at the Gospels and we look at our New Testaments. We see it in the Pharisees. We see it in the scribes. We see it in Saul or Paul prior to conversion. We see it with the Judaizers. They come in again and again in the epistles. And today, 
Also, there are tendencies like these that we must vigilantly guard our hearts against. Now, I'm not saying that we are to become antinomians and make an allowance for disobedience, like sinning that grace may abound. But we must certainly challenge the temptations that surround us in a satanic strategy aimed at keeping us from the main thing across our lives. That we can obey the Word of God and miss the heart of God. And that's a scary thing. That you can look on the outside like you're following God, but you are missing His heart completely. And so that's one reason they miss Jesus here. And a second reason they miss Jesus because He's broken their rules. They miss Jesus because He's broken their rules. Again, I mean, how imperceptible this can be. You know, these, these kind of rules that we make, and even, even here you know, with the scribes, and they often begin innocently, even, even with right motives. The Jews, they desired to be faithful to the Sabbath. They wanted to, to honor God on the Sabbath day. And then it got out of hand. And that honestly, is not that far from what happens in us. It may begin in your family or my family with an honest desire to provide parameters for our children and for ourselves, and then it becomes missing the heart of the matter. It's all the rules. We forget before us our children made in the image of God. Why do we put those in place? Why are they there? And it may begin... In the body of Christ as well with aiming at missions, aiming at discipleship, aiming at worship. But then it becomes more about all these other things that we do. The rules, the traditions that we have and that kind of restrict us from obeying all that God has called us to do and being all that God has called us to be. Ironically, this is also where our culture is right now. They are missing Jesus for their new moralist moral code that they have made. And now Christians are going against their rules. Jesus is once again going against the man-made rules of the day. Friends, Don't miss Jesus because he breaks or he goes against your self-made rules. And I say that as well to those who may be here or listening who are adopting and taking in and breathing in the the cultural air and saying, this is what I need to be. Don't be fooled. These are not... How we come to know God. These are not the word of God. Don't miss Jesus for your rules. A third reason. They miss Jesus because they can't hear him. I mean, what a fearful place to be in. And you, you might be there. Before them was 
the Savior of the world, and they missed Him. And it could be your religion. It could be that you may have some philosophy. It could be some sort of self-righteousness that you think you have. It could be worldliness. It may be your politics as well, or it could be something else, but it could it be you could be like the Jews here who cannot hear the God-man because you have tuned him out. You have all of these things that you have built up that tune out the Savior of the world. Well, Jesus told them, and they understood what he was saying, and so may you now. And that's not, when they heard Jesus, that's, they heard what he was saying and what he was doing. That's not okay with them, and maybe it's not okay with you as well. You're hearing all this, and you're saying, I don't agree with anything that you're saying here about our culture, about the moral code that we're putting in place. Well, friend, you may be missing Jesus because you're not hearing Jesus. Jesus says, my father is working until now, and I am working. What a statement. They were initially upset with him about breaking the Sabbath, but now he says this. The father is working even now, and they believe this too. They believe that God is working even on the Sabbath. That's why the universe is still going. You know, everything is still functioning as it is. So the Father is working even as He always has done on the Sabbath, upholding all things and bringing about His plans and purposes. And as the Father is working, so is Jesus. Now, in hearing this, they now have a second reason to kill Jesus, because he is making himself equal with God. But note, and note well here, that Jesus was not wrong. He was not a fraud. He was not a huckster. He was and he is the Lord and creator over all things, and they could not hear him. And you may not be able to hear him right now, even as he is the one who made you for himself, that you would live and breathe and do all you do through him and for him and to his glory, to the glory of the Father. And so let me say this to you. Though they missed him, Jesus does not want you to miss him. All this is written that you might believe. He wants you to come to Him to believe Him. So our world, it will continue on. There will be times of difficulty and it will get worse. But friends, know the word of the Lord is true. True rest is available even now In Christ, for the believer and unbeliever alike, Jesus is in the business of taking in the weary and the heavy laden and giving them rest. And so now, 
They have two reasons they want Jesus dead. They want him dead because he, in their eyes, broke the Sabbath, which he didn't. And they want him dead because now he's making himself equal with God. So with verse 19 onward, here, we are given Jesus' response. And my, oh my, there are some deep waters up ahead. Forewarning some profound things that Jesus has to say here. But note, right off the bat, Jesus, he does not deny nor even hint at denying the Jews' statement. So, he does not deny or hint at denying, but he was even calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. Now, as I studied this passage and thinking through this passage, you know, there are those who come to this passage and somehow don't see this. They say, oh, well, Jesus is not saying that he's equal to God here. He's just saying that he's, you know, God's agent. There's not really, he's not really emphasizing the equality aspect. Well, let me say, if you come away from these verses and miss at the very least that he is saying he is equal with, with God, you are not understanding this passage. That is what the Jews were taking issue with him with. Because he was saying he was equal with God. And we see it again and again in these verses. So here we see the unity of the Father and the Son. The unity of the Father and Son. So, when I say unity, I'm not saying you know, that there isn't distinction within the Godhead. You know, that there's not the Trinity, Father, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But we're seeing here that the, we're seeing one God in three persons. So we're seeing here specifically Jesus make clear that He is, He and the Father are one, the unity of the Father and Son. So Jesus, He answers their statement with showing how He is equal with the Father. And we see this first with Jesus here setting forth the truth that He is the perfect Son. He is the perfect Son. Jesus only does what He sees the Father Doing. Now that is a perfect son. I don't know how many of your children always do what you tell them to do. Well, Jesus always does what the Father does. Now contrast that, Jesus, with earthly fathers and earthly sons. You know, and, and I am so incredibly grateful to be a father of five. You know, the fifth. Lord willing, we'll be having in our arms sometime here in October. Um, And I'm just delighted to be a father. But as a father, I'm also deeply aware of just how imperfect I am. And how I'll never be a perfect father. As a father, I've needed to go to our children and ask them for forgiveness for some things I've done or said. And I don't foresee that stopping. I'm going to have to do it again. 
And if you haven't done that yet, you likely have a lot of things that have offended your children you might need to go them go to them with. I long to be a better father and to be more like Christ, but I'll never reach the point where I'll be where I will be a perfect father. You know, I'm I'm deeply thankful for my dad. And I'm thankful to be his son. And there is so much that I have learned from him. But as a son, I admit that I have not been a perfect son. And I will not be a perfect son. But here, in the midst of our many failures and our many sins and our many inadequacies, we have here the perfect heavenly father and the perfect son. And we see this even this Father's Day to see whether you are a father or a son as imperfect sinners, your hope is in this perfect son. The son is always perfectly doing the father's will. Whatever the father does, that the son does likewise, including healing this man here. And so, just bring that to bear then upon what the Jews are saying of Jesus. You're saying that this is not of God? You're saying He is not of God? Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. So, you're not just rejecting the Son, Jews. You're rejecting the Father. On top of this, Jesus, He makes clear the Father loves His perfect Son And he shows him all that he is doing. And so we don't just hear these words without, you know, taking in where the Gospel of John began. It began in John chapter 1. We saw what? We saw that Jesus is the God-man. He was with God and he was God. So from all eternity, the Son has been loved by the Father. And for all eternity, the Son has loved the Father. Incredible. And the Son, He has life in Himself to give to whom He will. And this, along with these other points here that Jesus makes, show here that Jesus is equal with God. Because he's prescribing things that the Jews here would have seen expressly only prescribed to God himself, to himself as well, to the Son. Let me give a few examples. So Deuteronomy 32-39, it says, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. Jesus is said here to what? That the Son also gives life to whom He will. Then another example, 1 Samuel 2, 6-8. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings to Sheol and rises up. The Lord makes poor and makes 
rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make him sit with princes and inherit a seat for honor of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And so we are, again, if you come away from this passage and say, well, I don't think Jesus is saying that he's united to the Father, that he's saying, as the Jews are even saying here, that he's making himself equal with God, you're missing it. This is perhaps one of the strongest passages in this gospel to say just that. So undoubtedly, we see the equality of the Son with the Father, which leads to the next point here. If you don't listen to the Son, you are not honoring the Father. Verses 22 through 23, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So there is no religion, there is no philosophy, there is no nation or empire or kingdom that can say that they are honoring God if they are not honoring the Son. Likewise, there are no churches, there are no homes, there are no people that they can say that they are honoring God if they are not honoring the Son. As we, we grieve and we wonder at what will be next in these dark days, what is the honorable, God-glorifying things that we are to do? Honor the Son. Lift high the name of of Jesus in your lives. Lift high the name of Jesus in your homes. Fathers, parents, teach your children the word of God and the gospel. Teach and show your children what honoring the Son looks like. Show them uh, what sinful, Jesus-needing fathers look like. How you love Jesus. Let them see your love for Christ and honor the Son in that way and also let them see your repentance as well. When you fail and you falter because you do and I do and we do, let them see your repentance and trust in Christ daily as your only hope. So what does honoring the Son look like in the world. Well, it looks like showing that He is a greater treasure than anything that the world can ever set before us. He's greater than health that a virus may take away. He's greater in His bringing about a greater kingdom than a million proposed solutions the world may give to riots or racism or hatred in all of its varieties or forms. Honoring the Son looks like directing people toward the treasure that outlives people's self-creating morality and self-made identities such that people eat and drink of true hope, true life, 
true joy, true meaning, and true everlasting treasure. And the world can never give any of those things. But we can point them to the sun. Friends, our world does not have the answer to our sins and brokenness. And they never will. Only Jesus does. Only the Son. So see the third point here. If you are united with the Son, you have eternal life. This is a point upon which the Jews so needed to hear. They're dishonoring Jesus, and so they are dishonoring God. They think that they are honoring God's law. They think they're honoring God when in fact, my oh my, they are dishonoring Him in every way they can be at this moment. The one that God sent into the world, they're rejecting. And here in verse 24, Jesus extends the truth to them and to us. He still tells them, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. So if you are united with Christ, what Jesus is saying here is that it's done, friends. Right now, if you know Jesus, you have eternal life. Man, that's it's bringing such hope and relief to the soul in the midst of everything we're seeing in the world right now. The brokenness everywhere. This is not my home. And it's also saying of those who are the children of God, you will not be judged. You have passed from death to life. And this isn't about or based on anything you have done or anything you can do. It's Jesus. His perfect life, His bloody cross, His lifeless body laid in the tomb and His resurrected life. So let me end here with this question. Are you united to Christ? Are you united to Christ? What a Savior He is. And how He will save any and all who come to Him. And so if you're here or if you're listening and you do not know the Son, you don't know Jesus... He's calling you even now. Don't miss him, but come to him, and he will receive you in. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for these profound truths that we have drank from this morning. May we consider right now in our own hearts and our own lives and consider 
if we are missing Jesus, if we're missing His Word, if there's something that we're doing or believing or thinking that is not in light or in line with honoring the Son and receiving His Word. Help us examine our hearts and our minds and our lives and ask if we have made our lives all about rules and have missed Jesus. If we've missed God's heart. Are we not hearing or even able to hear Jesus because we have believed and done and lived in things that would go against everything he is saying here? May you help us, Father, and expose us. And help us, Father, to see the perfect Son. And help us to see that anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. And so we, as churches, as families, as husbands, as wives, as children, may we ask that question of ourselves. Help us, Lord. And if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ this morning, we pray that they would ask the question if they are united to the Son by faith. May you, Lord, work even now in hearts and minds and do your work for your glory. In Jesus' name.